Welcome to the Rise Podcast. I am Nuna Isi Ma. If you are new to the podcast, this is where we explore how to transform trauma into sovereign power, soulful purpose, and sacred pleasure, so that you can have the success and fulfillment in all your life circles and be the woman you are born to be. so happy to have a special guest today. Her name is Debbie Ward Erickson, and she is the founder of the Institute of Authentic Tantra Education, the first and only government-accredited professional training institute using the Tibetan five-element tantric practices for holistic sexual healing. Devi is an ACS certified sexologist Certified Tantric Healer, Certified Reiki Practitioner, Certified Meditation Instructor. She also hosts a podcast called Sex is Medicine. Welcome Ooh. to the show, <laughs> Devin. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. So the five elements, Tibetan Tell us about it. It sounds so valid for our time. Yeah, absolutely. They, they, they are incredibly valid for our time. So the Tibetan five elements are earth, water, fire, air, and space. So many, many cultures on this planet have teachings regarding the elements. And there are subtle variations between them. Like the Chinese five elements are different than the Tibetan five elements. And the the Indian five elements are different than, you know, the Chinese five elements, but there, but there's teachings and an understanding that the five elements make up our physical reality, right? Our bodies are a combination of the five elements. Our environment is an expression of the five elements. And in the Tibetan healing tradition, all illness and dysfunction is a result of an imbalance in one or more of these five elements. So if we look out at the world today, we can see like a multitude of examples of imbalance, whether it's climate change or, you know, chaotic weather patterns or people killing each other. I'm a North American and I'm from the United States. And, you know, I don't know how much of your audience knows about American news, but like at least once a week, there's a mass shooting. There's like somebody walking in and massacring people like that's, a, a glaring symptom of imbalance in the emotions and the mental body and the spiritual body, just in general. So imbalance is running rampant on this planet. And I think also, interestingly, a disconnection with our elemental, with our relationship to the elements and the destruction of the planet coincides as this imbalance is occurring. So they, they really play off of each other. Very easy to observe this. So the beautiful thing about the five element tantric practices specifically, the five element tantric practices are a way of healing, enriching, balancing the elemental energies within our own bodies and within our own energy body and within our own psyche and our own emotions. And when we create and cultivate balance here, it can't help but be reflected out there. Does that make sense? 
It makes total sense. And I'm so happy that you bring in the elements because we are made of the elements. We cannot run away from it. Um, everything in us is a reflection of the elements. And so, yes, uh, to balance within, we have to work with that. Absolutely. Exactly. And, and one of the, the, the tenets of, of Buddhism, at least the, the lineage that we practice, is there's a saying, inside, outside, same. So it kind of falls under this understanding of mirror-like wisdom. So what's going on inside of me is going to be reflected externally. And so a very kind of tangible example of this is like when we're having a bad day, everything's crappy. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like if you wake up and you're feeling irritated and frustrated or imbalanced internally, then, you know, if we stub our toe, it's the end of the world. Or, you know, it just, it's just those days where it seems like everything's going wrong. And so we can see a very clear example of that is like my internal, what's going on inside of me internally colors my perception of the external world kind of thing. Conversely, if I'm in love and I'm having an amazing day and I'm on cloud nine, like the slightest thing, like it won't, it won't bother me. It's like, it's whatever. It just rolls off me like water off a duck's bath because, back because I'm in love because, you know, everything's good inside. So everything that happens externally is good as well. So it's, that's a very, you know, tangible way of understanding inside, outside, same. We're always living that, but we're just not always aware of it. So the beautiful thing about the elemental practices is each of the elements, they govern a different functioning of the physical body, but they also antidote what's called one of the five root poisons of human emotion. So the five root poisons are anger, attachment, pride, jealousy, and ignorance out of which 84,000 different kinds of afflicted emotions arise. So for example, there's 22,000 different kinds of anger and there's like 16 different, 16,000 different kinds of jealousy, right? So there's all these variations on the theme of these five root poisons. But just like a good gardener knows, if you have a weed growing, you don't go and pick the leaves off the weed, you have to uproot it, you have to pull out the root. So that's why they're referred to as the five root poisons. So these poisons are emotional tendencies, right? And, and they actually have a, a chemical response in the body. So for example, when we're feeling stress, which is anxiety, fear, frustration, you know, kind of falls under the, the anger and maybe attachment category, our bodies are producing chemicals that are actually degenerative. One of the leading causes of heart disease is stress. So people are literally dying. <laughs> from emotional poisons. So the beautiful thing about the five element tantric practices specifically is that they give us a vehicle for working with, like I said, working with this elemental energy in our bodies and in, in our consciousness. And by working with this elemental energy, it begins to reverse or antidote or dissolve some of these toxic emotions that we may feel on a day-to-day -day basis. And as this occurs, we become more peaceful, we become more balanced, we become more healthy, we become more open, and we become more joyful human beings. Right. And so sexual wounds are definitely a state of imbalance within. And how would you apply the five elements to, to heal that? Yeah. Well, the beautiful thing about the five element tantric practices is they can be applied to everything. So that's something that my Lama says openly and he really supports the, 
application of the five elements to other modalities, to other forms of healing. So for example, um, he encourages our Reiki practitioners that are his students to use the five elements in the Reiki practice or massage or um, uh, acupuncture or different forms of five element healing. And when it comes to sexuality, once you have a firm foundation in the five elements as a meditative experience, as a form of chakra yoga and energy body yoga, then you can apply them to the process of sexuality. So it takes some time to develop your capacity as we were speaking about previously. You have to cultivate the ability to be present in your body, relaxed, aware, ability to focus, and be able to actually practice Tantra. So something that in the Tibetan tradition, the word Tantra literally means to weave light and sound with form. So Tantra is referring to a very specific style of yoga. Other people have different you know, definitions of the word Tantra. It's one of those words that has a multitude of meanings traditionally. But in this Tibetan healing tradition specifically, it means to weave light and sound with form. I so love I love it. Love it. Yeah. Yes, so absolutely. So yeah. Said. So what we what we specialize in teaching is our students and our clients in how to do this weaving of light and sound with form with the five elements as the modality or the, or the process or the vehicle. And it's a, just a very specific meditative yoga, yoga practice, which is very easy and very calming and peaceful to the mind, but it does require presence and focus. And so once you've cultivated the ability to do that in a sitting meditation, then you've cultivated the ability to apply it to your sexuality. Because as we know, sexual energy is very volcanic, right? It's a very volatile, very dynamic energy. And if we can't be present outside of our sexual experience, how can we expect to be present inside of our sexual experience? So the first step is to cultivate that ability to be present, relaxed, aware, and focused. And then we can apply that to every activity in our life, including sexuality. Right. Yes, that makes sense that you start with cultivating this uh, state of being outside your sexuality so then you can step into your sexuality in a meditative space, right? Exactly, exactly. And I mean, you know, ultimately the, the, the Vajrayana tradition teaches that every orgasm is literally a glimpse of enlightenment. Right. Right? And yes. so they say that the moving pranas or winds in the genitals, which are your downward voiding winds, at the moment of orgasm, they brush that central channel and we get a glimpse or a taste of enlightenment. The problem for many people when they're untrained is that that glimpse is all they get. It's there and it's gone. It's like 10 seconds. It's like a genital sneeze. That's it. And yet that genital sneeze, that bliss, that openness, that ecstasy, that is a glimpse of our true nature. That is our birthright. That is the state that we are meant to function in as human beings. I mean, imagine our planet if we were all felt that inner bliss and ecstasy on a day-to-day -day basis. Yes. There wouldn't be any wars. Yes, <laughs> I can imagine it. <laughs> right. I can so exactly. imagine it. I can see a whole different level of evolution when people are really connected to their life force energy in a beautiful, healthy way and cultivating that um, orgasmic flow, I'll call it, right? So it's not that peak and 
and then um, you know coming down it's rather more like your belly orgasm that is just there to to for you to ride that wave and and i'm sure we can actually live like that we do have the capacity to tap into that flow and live like that well absolutely and here's the thing with tantra training aside from the five elements there's also breathing practices and you know relaxing practices and understanding how the nervous system works and the sexual anatomy functions but what we gain the ability to do with practice is instead of having just a glimpse we're able to extend that portal extend that peak of pleasure that peak of bliss to last for 30 seconds two minutes 10 minutes 20 minutes half an hour we we cultivate the ability to taste and 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 uh access this bliss over and over and over again so for many people and when they're untrained or sexual experiences like you know straining really hard to get this peak you have a little explosion and then it's over with tantra we relax and open and we hit a peak and we rest there and we hit another peak and we rest there and we hit another peak and we rest there until we're finally, we're literally flying in ecstatic bliss. And you never come down. When we stop making love or we stop flying in bliss, we just kind of come to a gentle rest. But all of those bliss chemicals are still flooding our body or still flooding our bloodstream and they stay in the body. And then when we get up the next day or get up that afternoon, we utilize all of that energy, all of that bliss that's been generated to do interviews and to work online and to grow the garden and to build the house and to benefit people. And then anytime I choose to, I can go back and I can cultivate these bliss chemicals in my own body or share that with a partner. So it's like our sexuality is regenerative. It's like a way of cultivating energy and power and healing and bliss anytime we choose to and then taking all of that good juju and bringing it out into the world so beautifully said yes 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 absolutely this is this is what we are working on we are working on cultivating that creative life force energy that we all with no exclusion have the access to, to, to tap in and cultivate. This is our innate powers. We are born with disability. This is mm -hmm. our birthright. And something exactly. along the way went so mutated that we are so far away from it at the moment that it's even hard to imagine that it's possible. Absolutely, and I'm 100% agreement, agreement with you. I often say this is our birthright. We have between our thighs the most potent creative energy source in the universe. We create humans with our sexual energy. That is the most, we create new life. I mean, it is the most miraculous thing and we have access to it anytime we choose, but we've been conditioned to fear it. We've conditioned to be in ignorance of its true potential and we've been conditioned to feel shame at our own pleasure and our own God-given birthright to pleasure. So my belief, like really you said, you know, something changed along the way. Well, the patriarchy came in. You know, I know that's a word, a term that you float thrown around, but that's an actual thing that occurred over the planet, all over the planet. And the notable signposts of when kind of the, the shift in power occurred 
one of the most notable things was the oppression of sexuality, particularly female sexuality. And the point that I want to make about matriarchal societies, and, and I'm not an expert in this, this is just coming from like casual readings and all that you know, kind of stuff from other people who are experts, a signpost of a matriarchal society was not that women were superior, they were actually egalitarian. So when we talk about patriarchal societies, it wasn't women were great and men sucked. It's not a reverse of the patriarchy. Most matriarchal societies were egalitarian. So they valued humanity. They, they valued human life, not just people with vaginas, right? Conversely, patriarchal society, it's, it's a power imbalance. And that's one of the hallmarks of it, is that it is a power imbalance. And we're seeing that on this planet. We are headed towards destruction as a planet because the patriarchy, that power imbalance has replicated itself throughout the centuries, and here we are today. So one of the things coming back to the five elements, what I love about these teachings and what I love about having them arise on this planet now is it's a way of restoring balance, again, internally, in our own psyche, in our own body, mind, spirit, and sex, so that we can begin living in balance and harmony with our family, with our friends, with our community, with our society at large. If I'm unwell, I can't have healthy relationships. So for me particularly, this has been my journey because I have such an extensive background of, of, of trauma, of physical abuse, emotional abuse, racial abuse, just like it, I had a pretty horrific upbringing in many ways. Not as horrific as some people, but definitely compared to you know, some of the general population, it was, it was I had some, some, I don't know what the word is, uh, deteriorating, de what, bad things. <laughs> bad things, right? That I had to overcome. And so for me, the five elements have been the most effective and potent practice that I've done to rewire those traumatized neural pathways in my brain and literally rewire my nervous system to be relaxed, to be open, to be healthy, to be balanced, so that I became a healthy human being, so that I could have healthy relationships with other human beings, and then share these methods in a way that's cultivating health and wellness for others. Right. And so can you give us some example of how it works and, and what is the process for the audience to, to get a taste? Is it something that you have to do with a practitioner all the time, or you can learn it and practice it on your own? Yeah, that's a great question. So we really specialize in, in, in teaching people how to fish, to use an analogy. So heal or heal thyself. So our focus is on training people to become their own healers, their own sexual healers, their own elemental healers, their own just to, to cultivate health and wellness inside of themselves. So we don't train people to be body workers or, you know, or um, kind of like a therapist where you have to continue seeing them over a period of time. Our training programs consist on teaching people, guiding people through the methods so that they can utilize and cultivate them for the rest of their lives. Tantra is yoga. So just like Hatha yoga, where you do asanas and you have your yoga class that you go to once a week, but you get better results when you practice in between class, same with Tantra yoga. So usually we, we work with people like once a week or once every couple weeks, and we our, our programs specialize in teaching online, so we've been able to really have a worldwide audience. And so you and your coach would meet once a week or once every two weeks, 
online or in person, depending on the location. And during these sessions, you will be introduced to the five elements as a healing modality, yogic breathing methods to relax the nervous system and help release uh, body armoring and stored trauma, somatic sexual healing practices, so how to cultivate and use pleasure, sexual pleasure as medicine, self-connection exercises such as journaling and nonviolent communication, and then movement practices, because movement is a way of, of using the pleasure and the joy of movement to release stagnant energy and, again, cultivate wellness and cultivate bliss chemicals in the body, as well as sexual, sexual yoga practices or sexual health practices to cultivate the pelvic floor and the sexual organs, reproductive health through movement and, and, and physical yogas. So in each session, we teach our students and walk our students through the methods and all of the genital pleasuring and healing techniques are demonstrated on anatomical models. So it translates very well. And then at the end of the session, you're given homework to work on because this is yoga. You have to do your practice. And if you don't do your practice, you don't get results. So you do your homework for the next week or couple weeks. And then when you come back, then we do a check-in and see how your homework went. And, and the results are based on your practice. So the more you do your practice, the better results you get. And our goal is to support you through this entire process in cultivating your own Tantra yoga practice. Wow, that sounds like a holistic program that includes all the possible elements for, yeah, somatic body healing experience. Exactly, exactly. And, and one of the, the fundamental teachings of Tantra Buddhism is that the body is Buddha. So what that means is all wisdom, power, and knowledge is inherent in the physical form. So we don't need to go anywhere to realize enlightenment. What we need to do is get in the body to realize our true nature. We are born Buddhas. We are born enlightened. We are born realized. We just have obscurations that cloud our perception. And a lot of those obscurations are, you know, cultural conditioning and the fact that we're raised in a traumatized, this planet is traumatized, like the whole planet <laughs> is traumatized and trauma begets trauma, right? It reinforces itself, it replicates itself. So part of what we're doing with the, the modality of authentic Tantra and the five elements particularly and all these holistic you know, methods that we just discussed is we are applying tools to clear the pathways to clear the energy body, to clear the physical body, to clear the consciousness itself, to clear our ability to correctly and accurately perceive our universe as a Buddha realm, as, as a world, as a planet of bliss and joy, to clearly be able to perceive ourselves as wisdom beings incarnate, and to clearly be able to per perceive each other as family. Right. Yeah, I can tell for myself, I've been through my own healing journey for uh, many, many years and uh, really pioneering the way, um, finding, you know, the, the right channels to do the work. And I can totally, yeah, I can, I can really um, evident that, you know, once you remove everything that stands in your way, there is pure gold inside. We are all born divine. Yes. And our sexuality, integrating and incorporating our sexuality into this healing process is huge. 
because a lot of spiritual traditions teach that sex and enlightenment are two separate things. You can't have them together, you know? So the Christian tradition teaches this, the, the monastic traditions of Buddhism teach this. So there's this separation between sexuality and our spirituality. And there's a separation between our humanity and spirituality. And yet the teachings of tantric Buddhism tell us that you cannot be a fully integrated human being if you have not cultivated and explored and acknowledged your sexuality. It's such a core component of our humanity. It's where we come from. It's how we all got here. So if there's a version or shadow or wounding around our sexuality, it's not full realization. It's not full enlightenment. It cannot be. You cannot be fully enlightened if you're not fully human. Yes, 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 yes. And I also want to make the distinction between sexuality and sex, because sex is the meeting of the genitals, is the physicality act of it. But sexuality is so much more than that. It's the way we live our life. It's the way we we move. It's the way we create. It's the way we relate. It's the way we carry ourselves. It's it's really our being. Absolutely. So that's a really great distinction, distinction, the act of sex versus sexuality. So sexuality is, you know, and it's many facet, faceted, it can express itself in a variety of ways. And very often, again, in the society and the culture that we live in, sexuality itself is repressed. So it's not just the act of sex that people feel shame about. It's, it's, anything having to do with the genitals. And yes, sexuality as a whole, as a totality, is not located in the genitals, but that's one of the areas that we, that we have the most direct access to that energy and that sensation that arises, right? And there's so much shame buried there. There's so much wounding. There's yeah. so much ignorance. I don't think there's one expert on this summit that did not mention the word shame in relation to, to this topic. So shame is fundamental and so big and um, really something that we as a collective need to look at in the eye and meet it and, uh, and, and work through it. And I find that one of the ways to drop that shame is uh, by talking about it and by being vulnerable and by sharing all the stories. I would like to know if you have more insights into it. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, so one of the things I, I often say is that sexual shame is learned behavior. We're not born with it. We don't come into this world having shame about our genitals or our bodies. In fact, most children love their bodies. They run around butt naked as often as possible. You have to force them to put clothes on. At a certain age, all they can do is touch their genitals. They have no shame. They'll be at the dinner table or talking to Aunt May, pulling on their genitals, touching things, because there's no shame. They, they have, they have a, as much shame about touching their toe as they do their genitals. So we see from children that shame-free embodiment is our natural state. So we learn shame from the adults in our environment. We learn to feel shame about our bodies. We learn to feel shame about our genitals and we learn to feel shame about our pleasure. That's something that society puts on us. And sexual shame isn't the only way in which we're shamed. We're shamed for so many things in the society, like not working hard enough or you know, you've got cellulite or I don't know, whatever, whatever the society wants to shame you about. And shame, shame is, is degenerative. It suppresses the life force and it actually robs the earth element energy. 
an interesting thing that, so uh, in the five element system, the earth element, which is located just below the navel, uh, governs health and wellness. It governs all things related to the physical form. And it supports physical health, physical wealth. It's the antidote to arrogance. Um, it's um, uh, activity is uh, evenness and balance, or I'm sorry, it's, it's activity is enrichment. So it enriches health and enriches wealth. And its quality is equanimity and balance. So meaning when earth element is stable and strong, you feel balanced, you feel emotionally balanced, you feel even, you feel grounded and anchored and stable, right? But the enrichment thing is what I wanted to point to out of this. So when our earth element is strong and being enriched, we have vitality and we have wellness and we have health. There's a number of things that can depress the earth element and rob us from our vitality. Shame, emotional abuse, verbal abuse, negative self-talk, trauma can all diminish that earth element. And it has an impact on our health and wellness. Conversely, words of appreciation, life-enriching language, such as we find in nonviolent communication, words of appreciation enrich that earth element and can actually cultivate health and wellness through hearing words that are uplifting and appreciative and life-supporting. Yes. Uh... You know, if I, if I look at society and the, and the lineage that we are, you know, um, carrying the genes of our ancestors and from where we are coming, there is so much trauma that is passed through generations. And, the, you know, the other day I've heard the, something really beautiful that the way, uh, you know, you talk to your children, they will love you regardless, but that will become their inner language with themselves. Yeah. Yeah, that's powerful and like something to really be mindful of exactly is the way we talk to our children is, is how and the what we model for our children, particularly around sexuality. Right. So that's often I often have parents like, well, how do I teach my children, you know, how to have a healthy relationship to sexuality. You have a healthy relationship to sexuality because they watch you. They want whatever your relationship to your sexuality is. That is what you are transmitting to your children. It's not about what we say. It's about what we do particularly in those formative years. Children aren't cognitively aware of like, oh, mom thinks sex is, they don't, they're not intellectually understanding that, but they watch. Does mom shrink when you talk about sex or does she shame? Or are mom and dad or mom and boyfriend or dad and dad, however it is, are they loving? Are they open? Are they laughing? Do they playful? Do they share? Or do they, do they, allow, do they allow their intimacy to be seen? Not necessarily, you know, the, the, the genital intimacy, but the emotional intimacy. How openly is that expressed and conveyed in your household? That's how your children learn about sex and relationships. They learn from watching you. Right. So they are born with healthy, rela with healthy relationship to their sexuality. It's the, it's the course of their life that will determine what they will get from uh, the society and the imprints that they get from 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 people around them and the um, you know the, the the parents of course are the the number one uh, dominant uh, or the caregivers and then it ripples out to society right yeah absolutely and you know and and i would define in this context i mean lots of people have different definitions of healthy relation or healthy sexuality or healthy sexual expression right so it's there there's there's opinion in that 
But I just want to clarify that in my opinion, when we are able to explore our sexuality in a way that feels good to us as individuals and free of shame and free of guilt, or at least when that shame and guilt arises, right? Because I, I encountered after 11 years, I'm still like, oh, wow, interesting. I feel shame about that. I didn't even realize that, right? So if we're able to observe it when it arises and acknowledge it and address it, that to me is a healthy sexual relationship. So I would say that children are, do not have sexual shame. So in that way, they have a healthy sexual relationship with themselves and in their bodies is that, that they don't have shame. They don't have fear. They have joy and celebration. And that to me is a signpost of a healthy sexual expression or healthy sexual relationship, joy and celebration. Those are signposts to me. Right. I can also add and say that uh, children are so open to their wiring for pleasure. And that's why they uh, also, unfortunately, such an easy target for molestation because they come with their innocent life force energy so open and vulnerable that it's so easy for an adult, instead of uh, providing a safe space for them to explore it, to actually take benefit for their own satisfaction. Yeah, and that's, tra I mean, that's tragic in a whole like topic in and of itself. What, what, in the context of sexual abuse and, and sexual molestation, something that I found very interesting is I did a, um, a nonviolent communication intensive with Dr. Marshall Rosenberg, like in 2008 or something like that. And I had an opportunity to really like see him in, in action, right? In person. And he described, he may have said this other places, but I remember it specifically in this, in this workshop. He described his experience working with a, um, a convict, a prison inmate who had been in prison for, for child sexual abuse. So his grown adult had molested, you know, tons and tons of little boys. And Marshall talked about his experience going in there to work with this human to try to understand the core need that was motivating this person to cause harm, to cause this type of harm to other human beings. Something that I love about NBC is, is the understanding that all action, everything we do is a, an expression of an unmet need or a desire to meet a need. So we're always trying to meet needs, no matter how horrific the behavior, the source of it is, is a need which is you know part of our our divine human spark is what our, our core needs are so he went in to work with this prisoner and and you know had to like take lots of breaks because he was really triggered marshall was and whatever but they got to the the root core the, the core need that that this dude was trying to meet through molesting these children and this gent this man had been molested himself and he had never told anybody and he was, it was like this horrific demonic, you know, secret that was inside of him. And he was so effed up by it, uh, distorted by it. And he felt so isolated and alone because of it. And so he molested other boys as a strategy to meet his need for connection. And his exact words, according to my memory, were, I, I did that to them so that somebody else would understand how it felt to be me. I've got goosebumps when you're talking about it because uh, I never really did the research, but my deep understanding of it is that it's perpetuates itself. Yeah. So 
there is no other reason for people to molestate or rape or abuse unless they have been experiencing it themselves. And that's why in my sacred mission, I really want to bring back that peace between the masculine and the feminine because we all been victims. I want to say victims. Uh, I, I don't really like to use that word, but we are part of, of this uh, sick society, unfortunately, and really to bring healing and peace and harmony to all of us is working through our own issues, of course, individually, but also to see the bigger picture, how we all been affected by it. Yes. Pain begets pain. Trauma replicates trauma. So yeah, and I mean, you know, in terms of, um, you know, I, I can't say all, right, but you're, you're correct that statistically speaking, usually people who commit uh, long-term abuses, molestations, that sort of thing, typically have experienced some, some of that within themselves, right? And without a doubt, you know, people who are feeling healthy and balanced and enriched and seen and heard and celebrated are not going to cause harm to others. That's just, it's causing harm to other humans is aberrant behavior. Contrary to popular, you know, popular belief, it's not a dog-eat-dog world. Dog world. It's not like, it's not part of human nature to be cruel and violent to each other. Another beautiful thing about the Tibetan healing tradition, and I found this in the book, Healing with Form, Energy, and Light by um, Tenzin Wangpal, I think his name is. He talks about how in the Tibetan tradition, it's understood that the, that the natural state of humanity is joyful and balanced and healthy. Like that is our natural state. And anything other than that is seen as dis-ease. It's seen as unwellness. And conversely, in the Western culture, it's a very, it's kind of sociopathic, quite frankly. It's very like, oh, you know, suffering and hard and pain and, you know, stepping on people to get ahead. That's, that's not what, that's sociopathy. <laughs> that's, that's not wellness and balance, right? So, um, so, so yeah, so our, our natural expression, our untraumatized expression as human beings is that love and that connection, that desire to live in harmony with each other. We have to. We've been here for how many hundreds of thousands of years we've had to live in harmony and balance together. And when we don't, we destroy ourselves, as we can see from what's going on in the planet today. Right. We can clearly see the reflection of uh, the distortion all around. Um, and for me, I really feel that the essence of the state of the planet and our humanity is that mutated life force energy, which is our sexuality. Exactly. I 100% agree that the oppression and suppression and criminalization of sexual pleasure, well, it's distorted because you're going and it's, and it's, it's a brilliant, like if that's a, if you want to like F up a planet, you know, and, and kind of mess with the, the wellness of human psychology, that is beautiful. That is a beautiful strategy in a horrible way to, to go after something that is so that has so much potency and so much potential and i mean it's part of our, our path to divine realization every orgasm is a glimpse of enlightenment wow so you condition an entire planet of people to be in fear of that to reject that and to be ignorant of its potential one of the analogies i like to make in regards to our sexual desire is in the Taoist uh, tradition uh, from the research that I did, they often talk about sex, sexual energy as an appetite. 
right? Or sexual, sexual desire is an appetite. So just like we, we get hungry and we need to eat food, we have sexual desire arise to eat, to nourish ourselves. It's a form of nourishment for the energy body. That's what human sexuality is about. It's not about making babies. It really isn't. Contrary to, to popular belief, that's such a limited view. And I like to say that if our primary purpose of human sexuality was to make babies, then we would be able to get pregnant every time we had sex. And our window of fertility is 24 hours. 24 hours. That is a short window. That is a like minuscule window compared to the fact that we can have sex 364 days a year, right? Or 365 days a year. Technically we can. So we can have more than that. Huh? <laughs> We can have more than that. We can have a couple, a couple of times a day. So there you go. You can multiply it. Exactly. You can, exactly. I like the way you think. You can multiply it <laughs> 10 times a day. Right? Obviously, the purpose of our sexuality is beyond just having babies, right? It's beyond just procreation. So I like to say that the purpose of human sexuality is transcendence. It's, again, it's a pathway to our ultimate realization. And that is the true purpose of it. So to oppress it, to, to make us ignorant of that potential and to shame us into that, that's the same, it, the equivalent to me, of shaming our natural desire to eat food. Like we need food for our bodies to function. If we don't eat food for a certain period of time, we will die of starvation, right? Same with sexuality, right? Sexuality, whether, however we choose to express it, whether we choose to keep it to ourselves, whether we like to share it with one person, 10 people, however you like to do your sex, same sex, I don't really care. But as long as you're, you're have a, as long as you feel good about your sexuality, that's what's important. And so if we felt as much guilt and shame and ignorance and fear around eating food, as we did around sexual expression, we would, be, we would diagnose that as a problem, right? Like people have eating disorders when they have shame about what they eat, they have to eat in the closet, you know, whatever the issue, not trying to minimize here, but just comparing like there is such a thing as a food disorder and there's a lot of shame and guilt and like dysfunction around the necessary activity of eating food juxtapose that with sex if you if we embrace sexuality and sexual expression as as the equivalent of eating food feeling fear guilt shame not knowing your anatomy that is dysfunctional that is a dysfunctional relationship to sexuality so i say that on this planet the entire planet society at large has a dysfunctional relationship with sexuality thank you that is so so True, unfortunately, that is so true. And that's what we need to bring into our awareness. So we are we, we're looking at the reality of it and then we can shift beyond it. And exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's why the summit is for, to, to bring those uh, topics into our awareness so we can, we can process them, we can shift them, we can transcend them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We can't heal. It, we can't heal a wound if we don't, if we're unwilling to acknowledge that it exists, right? right? So we have to look at it directly, examine it, observe it. And I'm always curious. I'm like, well, where does this come from? You know, I feel I'm feeling this shame in my, in my, in my body or in my sexual experience. Who told me that? Where did that come from? Who told me that that's naughty and that I'm bad for wanting that? 
I'm, I'm super curious to know because so often as, you know, as adults, as you kind of mentioned before, we're carrying other people's baggage with us and I'm a freedom fighter. So I'm kind of like, I don't want to be carrying other people's garbage with me. You can carry your own garbage. I, I, you know, I was born with enough of my own. Right. So, so I don't, I don't need extra. So for me, one of my, one of my tools that I use is when I have uncomfortable feelings arise, particularly around sexuality, I really like to look at them and examine what's at the root of those, where, what is the source of that belief? And usually by looking at it, it starts to dissolve. It starts to break up and release. Beautiful. So you bring in the element of self-inquiry which is really an important process to engage in when something is there instead of suppressing it, instead of fighting it, instead of contaminating it or trying to get rid of it, to sit with it to, uh-huh. and, and to really um, go into an inner inquiry to see where is it coming from? What is the root cause? Was it a thought that came? Was it an experience that brought it up? Was it um, something that, that comes in in certain time or space or in relationship with some people or what is the cause of it? Yeah. Right? And it takes so much courage to do that, right? Because these emotions, when they come up, I mean, oftentimes they were kind of implanted into our psyche at a very young age, right? And without our consent, <laughs> I will say, and without our understanding of like, oh, that's what's actually dripping into my psyche right now, right? And so when they come up, like for me personally, I, I have a visceral response. And like, and it's really like fight or flight. It's like, you will die if you go here. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not just a like, oh, I'm uncomfortable with that. It's like, you will die. And so it takes a lot of courage to be like, oh, okay. Like, like again, like I, I have a belief that I will die if I feel this feeling right now, or if I go beyond this barrier because they're put up there as defensive mechanisms. Do not go here. You will die. That is that is the you know the core belief in that. So I just want to honor and acknowledge all of us who are on this path who have the courage to be present with those really painful and scary things that arise during this process and the willingness to sit with it and be present and aware and not run and stick our heads back in the sand and, you know, pull the covers over our head. You know, sometimes that happens and that's cool, but the courage, the resilience that we have to keep coming back until we get through it, until whatever that, that pain is uh, reveals itself fully and then is free and transformed. Right. Thank you for that. I really want to take a moment and acknowledge all the audience on this summit, because it does take courage. It mm-hmm. does take courage to, to, to sit with it, to feel it all, to do this work. So yes, I want to acknowledge that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not for the faint of heart. No, it's not. And yet, what waits as a reward for doing the work is just so worth it. So... That's a, yeah. a word of encouragement. Yeah, and, and, and so true. And, and one of the things that I really have difficulty articulating to people is the, the depth and profundity of the healing journey that I have experienced since working with these methods. So, you know, you guys see me as I am today, and I get the makeup on, and the fireplace, and, you know, my house on the hill and all that. 
And the only reason that I'm able to have the experience that I have now is because of walking through hell, <laughs> quite literally the hell of my own trauma and applying these methods to resolve it. But if you knew me, you know, rewind 11 years ago, I am not the same person that I am today. Like people who knew me 11 years ago are, have commented, like even within the first two years of my training, they were like, holy, what are you doing? Because you are not the same person that you were. And so what we teach, another thing I really like people to know is that, you know, what, what we teach and what we do, this is a spiritual path for us, for, for me and my team. This isn't like a hobby. This isn't, you know, something that we do in our leisure time. This is our life from, from the time we get up to the time we go to sleep. And sometimes even in our dreams, we are practicing, we are, we are processing, we are working with these, with this energy and with these methods. And so what we share is our offering to the world is our spiritual practice, but it's also rooted in experience and results, tangible results. The only reason that I'm able to share with you what I share with you today is because I have walked through the process and continue to. I continue to train with my Lama. I continue to receive teachings from my teacher. I continue to ask for his advice and his guidance and share with him our celebrations. And he's kind of like the rudder that continues to steer the direction of where we're going as an organization and as individuals. And his only interest is in the, the what is it? The, the, the condition of our immortal soul. Like, you know, like he doesn't really care about anything else other than are you in right action? Are you bringing benefit? Are you bringing good karma? Are you transforming negative karma? Like he's interested in our immortal consciousness and that's it. And so everything that we do in our organization is really guided from that understanding that this is a spiritual path of evolution. And the results that we experience in our personal lives and our professional lives are a result of our practice. If I did not practice, I would not get results. Very simple. Yeah, yeah. You definitely have to walk the journey if you want to walk the journey, and it's it's a choice, right? So, mm -hmm. it the, the, there is a moment in your life that you either just uh, choose to be the victim of your circumstances, and and you can see if you if you cultivating blame, if you constantly blaming your mother or your father or that uh, circumstances or that uh, event then you are in victim consciousness. And if you making the choice to walk through the journey with however you, you decide to climb that mountain, right? Because there are a couple of ways to do it, but you have to make that choice in order to start that journey and, and, and shift through that victimhood into an empowered state of being. Yeah, and that's a really good point. And, and, and I want to make the point that there's a difference between like acknowledging that harm has been done to you and, and acknowledging that it, like it needs to be addressed. Like people have experienced abuse and the only way I was able to overcome my abuse was by acknowledging I was abused. And it's important to feel the pain of that. Like it's important to recognize that. There in the United States, there is huge racial disparity. I mean, black people are getting killed for being black every single day in America. 
that is a violation of human rights. And it does no good to pretend that stuff like that doesn't exist because it does. You can't think your way out of that reality. So it's important to acknowledge that there is harm and there is injustice and there is pain. I'm experiencing a pain as a result of that. And yet, if I want to be free of that pain, there is, A, there is freedom from that pain. There is internal freedom from that pain. And I need to take action to free myself. So for me specifically, I mean, my spiritual journey began in earnest the night I tried to kill myself. Mm. I couldn't, I tried, I cut my wrists up, I did, you know, took pills, I did everything that I could up to a point. And when I got to that point, that do or die, or do and die, I couldn't. I couldn't make that final cut. I couldn't do the thing that would actually end my life. And I knew in that moment that I needed to find a way to live without pain. So that is what began my journey. It was at that moment when I realized I, I wasn't willing to die or I couldn't die. So I had to find a way to live. And so I began to do crawl out of the toilet bowl, <laughs> out of the hell realm of my existence at that time, right? And so that's the choice I think, I think you know, you're pointing to is that the, there comes a moment when it's like, okay, you accept, yes, there's pain. Yes, I'm entitled to my pain. Yes, there's this horrific injustice and I can't change it there, but I can change it here. And by changing it here, eventually I can put things into action to begin shifting things out there. So beautifully said. Thank you for that. Yes, exactly. I think we all have gone through the dark night of the soul. I think we all have maybe even spiritually died at times, right? I remember situations where I felt so helpless and, and just laid on the, on the earth, you know, chest to chest. And I just, I couldn't bear the, the, the intensity of the pain that yeah. I was there and I breathe through it and, and, and then comes a new wave of energy, a new wave of insight as if the universe and, and, and perhaps all the guides and angels and, you know, all the entities that support us in our life that sometimes we're not even aware they're there, but they are there. And, you know, they kind of lift you and, and, and dust you and, and off you go into a new choice. Yeah. Yeah. And that non, that invisible support, right? That many times we can sense, but we may not, so, a lot of us can't see, some of us can see, you know, but that invisible support, that spiritual support is important and vital. And, and that's one of the beautiful things about, um, you know, we, we practice in a, at a lin lineage-based hunter, but we have a Lama, a sanctioned Lama from the Shenkpa Kagyu lineage, and we call upon him and all of our teachers' teachers um, to support us. And so that's part of what the practice of taking refuge is in this tradition. It's calling upon the, the disincarnate masters and teachers and guides to support us in our practice. Because, you know, we all want the same thing ultimately, which is to live in peace and harmony and happiness on this planet. Like it's, you know, it's a beautiful gift to be human. It's an incredible gift to be in physical form. And there's so much beauty and expression and creativity that can be expressed through us. Um, and again, it's, you know, it's, it's distorted because of the pain and suffering and trauma 
that we experience on this planet. So it's really important to have our external or non-visible resources to bolster our internal resources and then to have the resources of our community and our support like you're creating with the summit. Right. And we are really uh, spiritual beings having a human experience. So it's mm-hmm. really about embodying our soul, embodying our spirit in this body. So this is really... That's why the work is always comes back to the somatic, visceral experience. The body is Buddha. That, I mean, that's a profound teaching that just continues to rep, ripple for me. The, it sounds so simple, but the body is Buddha. All wisdom, knowledge, and power is inherent in the physical form. So, so let's go there. Let's go there. So we are coming to the end of our time together. And let's end on that beautiful, powerful note. The body is Buddha. And um, I know that you also have a beautiful gift to share with the audience. Maybe you want to um, tell them what, what it's about. Yeah. So this is a wonderful, wonderful guide on female pleasure anatomy. And it's called the Female Pleasure Guide. And in this Female Pleasure Guide, we explore, we talk about the over 11 different kinds of orgasm that the female body can experience. So I think the last count was like 15. And these are verified, you know, physical locations in the, in the genitals and all over the body, as well as just like energy experience. So there's over 11 different kinds of orgasmic, of orgasm that we're able to experience. And we're wired for pleasure. Like we've been talking about this whole time. We are literally designed for pleasure. We're built for pleasure. And we're particularly built for sexual pleasure. We are built so it feels good for a reason. So if we are wired for pleasure and if our orgasmic capacity is so vast, why is it so difficult for so many women to achieve? They say that 70% of women have difficulty experiencing or achieving orgasm, particularly with a partner. So what gets in the way of our natural capacity? Well, there's three main blocks that prevent us from accessing our full pleasure potential. And so we talk about what these three blocks are and you know, how to observe them. And they're, they're, they have a lot to do with our cultural conditioning. And then we go into uh, the, how exactly we're wired and built for pleasure. So the actual anatomy of female pleasure, what all the bits and parts are and how they work and where all these orgasm zones are and all that good stuff. And then at the end, we share four ways that you can begin to cultivate and access your full potential for, for bliss. And these are in alignment with the four pillars of the authentic tantra modality that we teach. So our four pillars are meditation, which cultivates presence and focus, like we started with. Uh, movement, so moving the form, releasing stagnant energy, and then just connecting to our inherent joy and bliss through dance and movements. Sensual self-expression is what I call it. We've been doing this since we could stand on two legs. Connection, connection to self, and then connection to our environment, and then consciously cultivating pleasure as a tool for healing. So meditation, movement, connection, and pleasure are the four pillars of the authentic Tantra modality. And so we give you little exercises to do to help you cultivate those. Wow, that's such an amazing gift. Thank you so much. I'm sure a lot of women will have such a great benefit from it. Thank you. Yes, you're so welcome. Yeah, yeah. And tell me if... um, if woman wants to get hold of you and work with you directly and um, hop onto your online courses, what's the best way? 
Yeah, so the best way is through our website, AuthenticTantra.com. And I do want to toot my own, own horn here because we've worked really hard over the last year working with the government of uh, British Columbia, Canada. And we have recently, as of September 26, become the first and only government accredited school for Tibetan tantric sexual healing on the planet. And I just found out uh, yesterday that our graduates, because our main focus is on the Tantra certification training program, because we want to train other practitioners to do this work all over the world. That's, our, that's what makes our hearts sing. We want it worldwide, global. And we also work with people in a Tantra Mastery Intensive Training Program to give people the tools, like I described, whether they want to go on to be practitioners or whether they just want to have more freedom and joy and bliss in their own lives to learn these tantric methods, this form of tantra yoga to cultivate in their own lives. So our graduates are, are uh, the National Occupational Code, we just found out, is Practitioners of Natural Healing. And our a curriculum content code is that of acupuncture and oriental medicine. So what that means is that the government of Canada has officially recognized Tantra as a natural healing modality. That is phenomenal. It that is. is. It is. It's phenomenal. Well, it's yeah. a big step in the right direction. It is. <laughs> so if you want to learn authentic Tantra rooted in the Tibetan Buddhist uh, tradition, specifically the Tibetan five element healing techniques, we're the place to come. We are the only people on the planet teaching this specifically as a form of sexual healing, holistic sexual healing. Um, so yeah, those are our credentials. So authentictantra.com is where you want to go. <laughs> so that's where you go if you want to carry on working with Devi and the, her well of wisdom and such such an amazing work i myself would love to hop onto your uh, practitioner list one yeah. day <laughs> yeah, we would love that we would love that we're building and growing slowly over time with the guidance of our lama he says build slow expand and rest build slow expand and rest and that's been our kind of our business model for the last 11 years so uh so it's slowly and gradually slowly gently right so thank you so much, Debbie. It was such a pleasure. Thank such you. Such a pleasure so speaking to you and uh, having that beautiful conversation. I'm sure it's great, great value for yes. everyone that listens. Oh, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure and such an honor to be invited. I so appreciate it. Mm, thank you. And blessings on your way. Blessings to you. <laughs> so for everyone else, Thank you so much for being here and ciao for now.